77th Psalm. For our study this evening, perhaps this is a familiar psalm to you. It is an encouraging psalm, though it begins on a note where one is not encouraged at all. The setting of the psalm is that there is some national tragedy. The psalm itself doesn't tell us. W. Graham Scroggy suggests that it has to do with the humiliation by the Chaldean oppression. Perhaps so. Kirkpatrick said, when the psalmist wrote, the blow has fallen. Israel was in exile. It is clearly no mere private or personal sorrow which overwhelms this spirit, but the apparent rejection of Israel by God. But in light of Israel's past, history is taught to believe that the rejection cannot be permanent. There's something going on with the nation. This is not a personal problem that he's facing. Whatever the psalmist talks about doesn't seem to be a personal tragedy that he's had within himself, but it seems to be something that's happened to the nation. And perhaps it is the Babylonian captivity that is being discussed. Irvin Jensen said that it is a time of deep trouble. And certainly the Babylonian captivity would be a time of deep trouble. It looks like all is lost. Is there any hope for Israel? And the psalmist indeed seems to be oppressed. Well, there is a picture here in this psalm of one wrestling with grief and with doubts. He wonders if God has forgotten his people. Let's get ahead of ourselves to verse 7. Is the key to the psalm, and he asks the question, Will the Lord cast off forever, and will he be favorable no more? Has his mercy ceased forever? Has his promise failed forever? Has God forgotten to be gracious? He ponders the question, has God forgotten his people? The psalm to suggest that he had sleepless nights, wondering and worrying about the problem. His, he has questions for which he seeks some answers, and he finds the answers. In fact, it illustrates for us that the anguish of the soul is not a modern phenomenon, that as we wrestle with some tragedy that befalls our nation, maybe befalls the people of God, or even us personally, that kind of anguish is not some kind of modern problem, but he ultimately finds his answer in the comfort that he has in God, even in what he already knew. And what I want to suggest to you is that when he gets to verse 10 in the psalm, he finally comes to recognize that I shouldn't have the feelings that I have because I should have known from the things that I knew from the past. I already knew this. And that ought to be of comfort to me, and that's where he finds his comfort. And we'll get to that in just a moment. Now, there are two parts to the psalm. Verses 1 to 9 is one part, 10 to 20 is the other part. And not original with me, but someone has drawn a contrast, a parallel between the two sections and simply suggesting that the first section of the psalm is a sigh while the other section is a song. Here we have trouble, there we have triumph. Here we have a present national disaster, and there he focuses on the past national deliverance. So as he's looking at this national disaster, probably the Babylonian captivity, he is in deep despair and he begins to wonder, has God even forgot about it? Says, will God's grace be gone forever? And so there is this sigh, there is this trouble, but he turns to the song of triumph based upon the past, and we're going to notice that in verses 10 through 20. Now there are two things we're going to notice. I want us to make a run through the psalm, first of all. And we're going to take a little bit of time, but not a great deal of time, running through the psalm. 
And having run through that psalm, we're going to come back and list some lessons that we learned from the psalm that are very practical. So perhaps this psalm is familiar, and uh, you have studied it many times perhaps, and, but yet this is a psalm that is encouraging to the people of God. So let's start by looking at the psalm. Here is what the psalm is about. It seems that God has forgotten his people is the title I give to the psalm. There are two sections to the psalm. We've already suggested 1 to 9 and 10 through 20. And he seems like God, or from the psalmist's point of view, it seems like God has forgotten his people. And then he turns and says, hope and comfort is based upon the past. Now, we're going to work through each one of those sections. Uh, If you're trying to copy that, and you're going to get a chance to see each one of those as we go along. So let's start with this. It seems like God has forgotten his people. And in verses 1 to 3 now, he cries out to God, but he doesn't find any comfort. Let's see what these verses say. Starting with verse 1. He said, I cried out to God with my voice. To God with my voice, he gave ear to me. In the day of my trouble, I sought the Lord. My hand was stretched out in the night without ceasing. My soul refused to be comforted. I remembered God and was troubled. I complained and my spirit was overwhelmed. Now, there's not a great deal we need to comment upon, but he cries out to God. Whatever it is that's going on, and we'll give a little more hint at that in just a moment, that it caused him to be in such anguish that he says, I cry out to God. That's how he he responded. We're going to come back and make a practical point about that in a moment. But notice he said, in the day of my trouble, I stretched out my hand uh, uh, out in the night without ceasing. That is, it's like he's stretching out his hand unto God and he's crying out unto God and he does so without ceasing. He cries to God and he cries to God and he cries to God and he cries to God again. And notice at the end of verse 2, he said, my soul refused to be comforted. When he cried out to God, he didn't find any comfort within that within itself. He's looking for an answer that's going to have to be found later, beginning at verse 10, and we'll talk about where he finds that answer. He said, I remembered God and I was troubled. I complained and my spirit was overwhelmed. This seemed to be overwhelming to me. I'm crying out to God and I'm not finding any answer. I'm not finding any any comfort in that. So beginning now at verse 4 through verse 6, he's troubled and it causes him to think back. And he reflects back. So let's see what he says beginning at verse 4. Beginning at verse 4 he said, You hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled I cannot speak. It's the idea of a sleepless night. You hold my eyelids open. He lies down to sleep. He just mentioned the night at verse 3, or verse 2. And at verse 2, he talked about how that he cried out in the night. And perhaps the reason he's crying out in the night is that his eyelids are open. He's, he has sleepless nights. This is bothering him. Whatever is going on is bothering him so that his eyelids are open, he said, and I'm troubled and I cannot speak. Have you ever been so troubled about something you can't sleep? And, and not only can you not sleep, but you can't even hardly talk about it. Uh, maybe because you can't formulate in words your true feelings, number one. Or maybe because you're so overwhelmed with sorrow and overwhelmed with, with uh, the distress, you can't talk about the problem. But he said, I'm overwhelmed. Verse 5, I've considered the days of old. While he sat through sleepless nights, he was thinking about the days of old, years of ancient times. In other words, he thought about the past. And I call to remember my song in the night. Those were better times. He's not having a song in the night now, but he remembers a day when there was a song in the night. Quite often, when we're in times of trouble and times of despair, we can think of better times in the past. 
could go back in time when things were better than they are now. And so he remembered better times. And then notice that verse 6, he said, I meditate, I call to remember it, my song in the night, I meditate within my heart and my spirit makes diligent search. In other words, he compares. That is, uh, I'm looking at the present distress and the present despair, and I cry out unto God all night, I can't sleep, and I begin to think about how things used to be, and I make comparison between the two. And they're not quite the same. Things are different. I make diligent search. He's making comparison between the present and in the past. Now, beginning at verse 7, his question is, has God forgotten about his people? Now, if Scraggy be right about this, and I think he's probably right, that it is talking about something like, if not exactly, the Babylonian captivity. Um, this would seem like God has forgotten his people. They carried off to Babylon, went off in groups, and finally when the third group goes, it looks like it's done, over, never to be recovered again, even though the promise was in 70 years they'd come back. So notice his question. This is the heart of the psalm. Will the Lord cast off forever, he said? Will the Lord cast off forever? And will he be favorable no more? Is God not going to be merciful to us anymore? Has his mercy ceased forever? Has his promises failed forever? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his tender mercies? Now we have a key at the end of verse 9 that God is angry about something and that he thinks that whatever the tragedy is, it is a result of God rejecting his people. This is not a personal thing. But this is a national thing. God has rejected his people and God's anger is stirred. So has God forgotten about us? Has God cast us off forever? Has God forgotten his people? Has God's mercy ceased? Has his promises failed? That's the heart of his question. And he said, this is what's bothering me. I stay up at night. I can't sleep over this matter. I'm wondering what's going on. And he's forgotten about the promises perhaps, but he's focusing on the, the moment of the tragedy. Now let's go a little bit further, beginning at verse 10. And in verses 10 through 20, he turns now to hope and confidence. His sigh turns to a song. His trial turns to triumph. But he does so by thinking and reflecting on the past. And let's go back just a moment before we begin at verse 10 and go back to verse 6. Then he said, I was troubled and I cannot speak and I considered my days and the years of ancient times. It was reflecting on the past that caused him to think about the things of verses 10 through 20. As I said in those sleepless nights, focusing on all the contemplating the past is what I begin to think about. He admits his thinking was wrong beginning at verse 10. So let's get the picture. Beginning at verse 10, he admits his thinking was wrong. He said, and I said, this is my anguish. This is my anguish. Your footnote will say my infirmity. This is my anguish. But I remember the years of the right hand of the Most High. Wouldn't you think about that, psalmist? I thought about that in those sleepless nights when I couldn't think, and I began to think about the yesteryears, the years of ancient times, verse 5 and 6. He said, I remember the years of the right hand of the Most High. I remember the strong, right, mighty hand of God. I remember that. I will remember the works of the Lord. Surely I'll remember your wonders of old. What were those wonders of old? Later in the psalm, he's going to talk about the deliverance from Egypt. God's mighty right hand in marching the people out of the land of Egypt. I will also meditate on all your work and I will talk of your deeds. So in those sleepless nights, he began to think about things he already knew. That's an important point. 
that it made him contemplate some things that was already in his mind, that was already a part of his knowledge. And he said, I began to contemplate upon that, and that brought me comfort. What did you think about? Well, he said, I thought about your wonders of old. I thought about your works of the Lord. And he said, I thought about your mighty right hand of the past. I thought about all of that. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to meditate on all your work, and I'm going to talk about all your work. I'm going to tell others what I've been thinking about. He's bringing himself out of that despair by contemplating and referring to the past. The answer that he's finding was found in God's revelation of himself in history. God did not directly speak to the psalmist here and tell him, look, here's the answer to your problem. God allowed him to find that as he reflected on God's revelation in history. That's where he found his answer. Going back in history, he begins to find something that's going to help him. So you wonder sometimes, what, what good does it do me to study all this history of the Old Testament? Well, it may be something in Genesis, or it may be in Exodus, or it may be in Daniel, or it may be in Ezekiel, as you go through that, that reminds you of something that's going to help you with your present distress. And that's what the psalmist found out. He found his answer in God's revelation of himself in history. That's where he found his answer, in verses 10 through 12. Now, beginning at verse 13 now, through the end of the psalm, his comfort is in God. Now, let's get a little more specific. In 10 through 12, he found his answer in God's revelation of himself in history. 13 through 20, especially did he find it in how God dealt with Israel when he delivered them from Egypt. That gave him some encouragement that something is going to come good out of the problem that is going on with reference to Babylon. So let's begin at verse 13 now. He says at verse 13, 14, and 15, now 16 to 20 is set off to itself, and we'll come to that, what that is in a moment. Let's get 13 to 15. He says, your way, O God, is in the sanctuary. Your way, O God, is in the sanctuary. Your footnote may say, or in your holiness. That's the idea. It's not talking about the place, uh, the sanctuary is the place, as I think it is in his holiness. Your way, O God, is in holiness. You are a holy God. Who is so great a God as our God? In other words, you are a holy God, you are a great and a mighty God. You are the God who does wonders. You have declared your strength among the people. Notice he's talking about the past. That's where he gets his encouragement. And you have with your arm redeemed your people, the sons of Jacob and Joseph. What's he talking about? Well, he's about to tell us now in this next section. This is talking about the deliverance from Egypt. And he said, that's where I got my strength. That's where I got my encouragement, is reflecting on God's power and God's strength of the past. So let's see what he says. The waters saw you. Now remember the parting of the waters, and they came through and, and were delivered out of Egypt? The waters saw you. The waters saw you, and they were afraid. Now God caused the waters to part, but it wasn't literally the waters were afraid, but the parting of the waters was a reaction to the power of God, as if they, the waters were afraid of God. That's the picture of verse, verse 16. The depths also trembled, the clouds poured out water, and the skies sent out a sound, and the arrows also flashed about. The voice of your thunder was like a whirlwind, the lightning lit up the world, and the earth trembled and shook. Your way was in the sea, the path of the great waters, and your footsteps were not known. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Now, coming out of Egypt, and coming into the, to the wilderness that was led by Moses and Aaron as God brought them into the, out of the land of Egypt, that was the mighty hand and the mighty power of God. 
So what the psalmist is saying is, as I reflected upon your mighty power and how the waters parted, he said that encouraged me during this time and during this trial and during this problem that I'm going through and that we're facing. So here is what the psalm is about. I know that's a hurried look at the psalm. We're going to spend the rest of our time lessons that we learn section by section through that. But let's get again the picture of the psalm. It seems like God has forgotten his people. He starts off with this sign. I'm crying out unto God and it doesn't seem like I'm getting an answer. I cry out all night with stretching out my hand unto God, crying for an answer, and I'm not getting any comfort. So he said in those sleepless nights, I began to think back about the past. And so my question is, has God forgotten us like he remembered us then, but he's forgotten us now? And I came to realize I was wrong in my thinking. I came to understand that if I just look back in history, God had a powerful right hand. He does care about his people, and that gives me comfort. He's going to care about us now. And that's the point of the psalm. So now let's talk about some things that we learn from this psalm and begin to list several lessons from this psalm. What have we learned from Psalm 77? Well, here's the first. The first thing I learned is that we cry out to God and should cry out to God and express our grief. That's what we saw in verses 1 to 3. The psalmist in the midst of national tragedy, the tragedy among God's people, he cried out to God and he expressed his grief to God. The Ecclesiastes writer, the preacher said there is a time to weep. Just as there's a time to laugh, there's a time to cry. There's a time to cry out unto God, literally to cry. Jesus wept, the text says, over the death of Lazarus. He wept over the city of Jerusalem. Jesus wept. Sometimes there's something thera uh, therapeutic about tears. Of this shedding those tears, it helps to purge the heartache. But it's more than just shedding tears. The cry needs to be out unto God. So there's a time to cry out and shed tears over some tragedy. Maybe it's of our nation. Maybe it's of the church. Maybe it's a personal tragedy that you faced. But more than just shedding tears, there needs to be a crying out unto God and pleading to God for an answer. And perhaps it was an answer to that prayer, verses 1 through 3, that in those sleepless nights he began to see the answer to his question. And so cry out to God and express your grief unto God is one of the things I learned from verses 1 to 3. Now beginning at verse 4, remember those sleepless nights of the psalmist? It was those sleepless nights that drove him to some sober thinking. And perhaps sleepless nights will drive us to some sober thinking. That is, it's often that we're busy with our daily life to the point that we may fail to think and to meditate to seriously think about some important things in life. I want to suggest to you from Deuteronomy 6, Moses warned in his second sermon on the verge of going into the land of Canaan that when you get there, you're going to have it better than you've ever had it before. You'll have wells you didn't dig, houses you didn't build, vineyards you didn't plant. And when you have eaten and are full, then beware lest you forget about God that brought you out of the land of Egypt. See, when things are going well, there's a tendency we could forget about God in times of ease. So when we're having a good time, things are going well, we don't stop and meditate. So grief and sorrow of national tragedy, personal tragedy, whatever, promotes indeed serious, serious thought. So when there's some problem going on in your life, or maybe it's the nation, and you're, you're, you feel down, you feel depressed, those are times to reflect soberly and find some answer in that meditation, as did the psalmist find. Here's a third thing that I learned, and that is we ought to ask questions, but we need to seek answers. That's what the psalmist was doing. 
Notice verses 7 through 9 is nothing but questions. But he did more than that. He was seeking answers. His questions were this, verse 7. Will the Lord cast off forever? Will it be favorable no more? Has his mercy ceased forever? Has his promise failed forever? Has he forgotten to be gracious? Has he shut up his anger, uh, shut up, uh, has his anger shut up his tender mercies? Those are nothing but questions. But earlier in the, the text, and also beginning at verse 10, he's seeking answers to those questions. So here's what I learned from that. There is no shame in having questions or doubts. You may wonder sometimes, is, is, has God forgotten? Is God not answering my prayers? Uh, what about the promise of God? When's he going to fulfill that? God, God promised, and I'm not seeing the fulfillment of that. There is no shame in having questions. and The shame is in accepting the questions as the final answer. The psalmist didn't do that. The psalm, if it ended at verse 9, would be a tragic psalm. He says, I wonder if God's forgotten his people. Has God forgotten his people? Has God forgotten us forever? And then he ends the psalm. And that's how he ends. And that's, he accepts that as the final answer. There is shame in that. He didn't do that. He began to contemplate now and begin to think about things of the past and found out, you know what? I already know the answer to this. I just got to think about what I already know. And he found the answer there. The shame is in accepting the questions as the final answer. The shame is in assuming that nobody can answer the questions we have. The psalmist didn't contemplate here that no one really knows the answer. That God has God forgotten his people. No one knows how to answer that. I don't know if anybody around is smart enough that can figure out the answer to that. He realized he already knew the answer. I already know the answer. I just got to think about what God did. I know my history. I know what God has done. I know the answer to the question. No shame in having questions. There is shame in not seeking the answer. Here's the fourth thing we learned, beginning at verse 10. A troubled soul has a narrow focus. Nothing wrong with having a troubled soul. But staying as a troubled soul that is always troubled and never lifts out of that trouble means we have a narrow focus. Beginning at verse 10. That's what the psalmist is saying at 10 to 15, by the way. That I was having a narrow focus. I began to focus, and I, and I had my mind focused and I had this tunnel vision focusing on the national tragedy of the captivity. God's anger has been poured out and I've, I've focused on that. And then in those sleepless nights I began to think about the past and I thought about God's power in his right hand and I thought about what he did in Egypt and I thought about leading by Moses and Aaron. And I thought about all that and I come to the conclusion God hadn't forgot his people. I came to that conclusion. Scroggy suggested depicts the struggle of a soul as centered in a single night of anguish. Verses 1 to 9 does, not 10 to 20. But one to nine is a picture of a soul that is singled out on a night of anguish. Again, Scroggy suggests that we find reassurance by looking behind and before to history and to heaven. But when there is something going on and our focus is on this one thing, as if this, this is the encompassing and the totality of God's dealing with us, we have forgot about the past and we forgot about the future. The psalmist looks beyond the immediate. Scroggy again says, as he lay awake, despair and hope battle within for mastery. And before the day dawned, great light had flooded his soul. It was in that sleepless night as he begins to toss and turn and reflect that he begins to think about the past and the history and realizes, I already know the answer to my question. But here's another. Number five is to remember God's power is greater than God's power is greater than the power of the world. 
Now you think, if Scroggy be correct, that this is the Babylonian tragedy. If that's the, the circumstance. If it's not, it's some similar circumstance, so it makes no difference. That it seems like the world power is the all-powerful. Nebuchadnezzar has the ultimate power at this juncture. Fast forward to Domitian, which is not this, but a similar circumstance. seems like Domitian has the ultimate hand and is the greatest power of all. Beginning at verse 16, he reminds himself, and remember he had said earlier in the psalm at verse 10 or verse 11, that, or verse 12, I will talk of you. I'm going to tell others about this. And so what he says beginning at verse 16, he talks about how God was greater than Egypt and God was greater than nature. God's power was greater than Babylonian power. Do you remember what God did with the water? Even the waters were afraid of him. Even the seas were afraid of him. So that the seas parted. And the whole earth is trembling at the presence of God. So what we learn from that is God's power is greater. So the psalmist had seen the power of Assyria. And he'd seen the power of Babylon. But now there's nothing like that that compares with the power of God. And he remembers that. And so when it seems like somebody's got the upper hand. We talked about this in Bible class this morning. When it seems like some power has the upper hand, and our evil itself has the upper hand, just remember God's power indeed is greater. And here's one last lesson, and we are done. That God has delivered his people, and he can deliver his people. That was the point of verses 19 and 20. Um, back to verse 12. We'll come back to verse 19 and 20. The psalmist had said it, verse 12, thinking on the past helped him. And those sleepless nights, as he thought about the past, he said, that helps me. I'm paraphrasing. He said, I'll meditate on all your works. Uh, now that I come to realize and begin to think, I had forgotten some things, or at least pushed it out of my mind. I was, I was too focused on the present and hadn't thought about the past. He said, think about the past helps me. Same verse, verse 12. Talking of the past helps others. Maybe somebody else is discouraged. Maybe somebody else thinks the national tragedy is the end of all things. And so he said, talking about it to others is going to help others. I'm going to tell about it. I'm going to tell everybody about what God did in the past. They know it, but I'm going to remind them of it. Because I needed to be reminded of that, he's saying, at verse 12. And what he's saying in verses 19 and 20 is the same God that delivered from Egypt will deliver from Babylon. If God was strong enough to make the waters depart, if God was strong enough to bring all of those signs and wonders upon the land of Egypt, which is what he's talking about in verses 16 to 18, or 16 to 19. If God was powerful enough to do that, he can overpower Babylon, and he did. The Medo-Persians came in and took over. And finally Cyrus released them, let them go back home. And indeed God's power was vindicated. And I want to suggest to you the same God will deliver us in whatever we go through. Whatever your trial, whatever your tribulation, whatever your turmoil, whatever your national tragedy may be, that same God can deliver us. Well, that's the 77th Psalm in a quick way. Psalm 77. It seems that God has forgotten his people, the psalmist said, but he really had. Learn anything from that. When I begin to get down and I get discouraged, that if I would end those those moments of tragedy, or moments of despair at least, come to realize, I already know the answer. I already know the answer. I just got to think about what I already know. And therein I find my answer, and therein I find my encouragement, 
And therein, I find confidence to go forward. There may be one or more present who's not a Christian, who's not a child of God. Would you come believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? Would you repent of your sins, acknowledge your faith in Christ, and be buried in the waters of baptism for the remission of sins? If you're subject in any way, would you come while together we stand and while we sing?